song you just heard is Dog of War by the Hell Yeah Babies, which means I'm Nick Bond. I'm David Gibb. And this is how wrestling explains the world. I know I say this every week, but this is truly an exciting episode, Dave. The greatest episode in the history of our wonderful sport. Or show show about our wonderful sport. It is not actually Tony Schiavone, though. It is Bobby the Brain, Brain Heenan, who uh, I think for both of us, though I, I don't want to necessarily speak for you, I think the best character in the history of wrestling. Uh, is that where you have him, or do you have another designation for him? Because he's like a guy that always, people always have superlatives to describe. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think the most versatile and just best all-around performer in the televised era of wrestling from uh, being a wrestler, which I haven't seen a lot of, but obviously I've, I've heard that he uh, knew what he was doing, and later evidence would uh, speak to that as well. Uh, but whether it is as a wrestler, as a manager, as the color guy, he was just superb at, at really just about every facet of the business. Yeah. There's not a lot of footage in terms of him in his like prime. He was working in a small promotion or relatively small promotion in Indiana, I believe. Uh, and then he worked his way to the AWA, but you see the things he did in AWA. He to me is, I don't know how great he of a working punch he threw, but I think he is. And, and this is something we talked about both with uh, James Cornette, James E. Cornette, and Paul E. Dangerously, he was better than just a wrestler, uh, like working like a manager, selling like a manager or working like a manager. He was an actual good worker. Oh, flat absolutely. Out. absolutely. And I mean, he drew money like a worker too. Like you said, uh, he was one of the mainstays uh, throughout his AWA career, like in also the Indianapolis promotion that was run by Dick the Bruiser. And like, that was not a territory that had a ton of talent. And it really was, in some ways, built around, you know, uh, Dick the Bruiser, like the Crusher, when he would come through from the AWA, and just, like, those kind of, like, big, slow, grinder, mid-century wrestlers, like Bulldog Bob Brown, you know what I mean? Like, that type. And, and Bobby really was the kind of shining light that held that territory up, and that was just a passion project of his, because he liked the people involved. Like, he could have just done the AWA stuff, you know, he, I don't think he was making a ton of money from working in Indianapolis, but he just went there, and he... He kept that territory together for a long time just by being such a singular star. Yeah, and, and this is something I, I wrote in the notes just to see how you felt. I, I I think he is he's as good a seller as anyone he ever worked with on either side. Yeah, I think so. He really sold in a way that made the moves credible and in a way that told stories. You know, it wasn't it wasn't one or the other, it was a yes and, definitely. That when somebody punched him, he made it look like it was a tremendous punch, like it really, really hurt him and like it really, really sent him flying. And like it sent him flying in a way that kind of beggared belief, uh, but his commitment to it and the, the way he would sell indignity after he had taken the bump you know, it w was just really so masterful that, you know, they, he was truly someone where you could have him as a manager and the whole match that happened in the ring, and eh, that didn't really matter. And it wasn't really important if it was good or not, as long as he took that one really, really good bump afterwards, you know? Uh, yeah, he was somebody who actually put butts in seats, which is not something you see for people who aren't at the top of the card, but he did not need to be at the top of the card. He didn't need to be in main event spots necessarily to be one of the main events one of the main attractions for any show that he was on uh whether or not you knew you were coming to see him which i think is an important thing like a lot of people went out of their way to see uh bobby heenan 
But also, if you saw him, you knew he was instantly entertaining. And in that way, it's weird. Uh, he reminds me a lot of R-Truth, who, like, for whatever reason, the WWE does an exceptional job of using in very specific ways to get very specific reactions. And he's good ever, basically every single time he's on television, at least when I've seen him. He's like a good worker who doesn't need that kind of, like, top tier spotlight to be a memorable part of the show. No, it's called being over and very <laughs> few and very few people are over. You know what I mean? People know what they're getting when they see our truth. People knew what they had when they saw Bobby Heenan. They knew what to expect physically. They knew what to expect verbally and they knew it was going to be really, really good shit. You know what I mean? So it just speaks to being over. And I was just thinking about, uh, the kind of ongoing promotional model or the kind of emerging promotional model of these bot super shows, like, uh, you know, the crown jewel and greatest Royal rumble and super showdown and stuff. I mean, in this era where money marks are telling the company who they want to see on the show, like who would have been a bigger star in an era like that than Bobby Heenan in an era where the fans who are the most passionate with the money are literally telling the company who they want to bring to their show. Every single person would be like, Oh yeah, Bobby Heenan definitely has to be on the fucking show. He's got to be managing the heel in the main event. And I want him doing color the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And I, um, I'm just imagining him doing a bit in Saudi Arabia. Uh, like, what that would have been like, because the thing about Heenan, and this is something we'll get into a little bit more when we talk about his commentary. He was both a great just verbal comic, but he was a brilliant physical comedian. Like he managed to sell, like like you hinted at before, over the top, but not in like a Shawn Michaels versus Hulk Hogan way where he's trying to piss off the person in the ring and get himself over while making the other guy look bad. He was just trying to get the other guy over because he knew everything else would fall into place if he did that correctly. Yeah, when I visualize Bobby Heenan selling, he's taking a punch where the baby face has grabbed him by his collar, is pulling him up <laughs> close, pulls his fist back and spins his fist in a windmill about five fucking times in what should be just the all-time like hokiest pantomime moment. He pulls his fist back, he punches Bobby, Bobby goes off his feet and doesn't just bump, he flies backwards as though he's been shot out of a small cannon. You know what I mean? And then he doesn't just take a nice clean bump to the mat, he like falls half to his side and he's flailing around with his arms and his legs. They were like, it would be ridiculous with anybody else doing it. But there really is something about the commitment to, to showing your ass, so to speak. You know, the commitment yes. to really being that heel who the baby face is getting over on in a way that's embarrassing for them. I mean, it's like uh, it's like what Vicky Guerrero used to have, right? Vicky Guerrero used to have that connection to the crowd where, like, people were so into seeing her get embarrassed. And I mean, I think that that's something where uh, she was, she had, she had that kind of Heenan ish quality where even if what she was doing was really outsized and cartoony and not terribly quote unquote believable, it was fantastic stuff because, because people were passionate about, you know, seeing them getting their comeuppance. Yeah. And I think she is an important person. I didn't even think of her, but she is to me, like, I don't say this lightly. She is my favorite. She might be one of my two or three favorite characters other than Bobby Heenan. In terms of like the entirety of her career year, she had moments where she was incredibly annoying, but she was always able to make the crowd fucking hate her. She was the best heat magnet, I think, other than Bobby I've ever seen. She could, 
it was unbelievable how good she was getting heat at getting heat. And what I thought was special with her is the one time they let her be a face, the crowd ate it up when she fought Stephanie and dumped her in the the mud bath, like the, the mud pool uh, on her last show. The crowd like wanted that so bad. And I, I don't know if Bobby could have ever done that because I think what Bobby did was different than what she did. I think what she did was not remind us of Eddie. And I think we resented her for that, that she wouldn't do the, she did the lying and the cheating and the stealing, but she did it in a way that wasn't like fun. It was just dastardly. And I think Bobby, although he was entertaining to the point where you wanted to cheer for him, I don't know if I ever like rooted for Bobby in anything other than WCW. I think I started to root for him in WCW when he became clearly broken. But like when he was a manager, there was no, re- or in charge, like on commentary, there's no reason to root for him. And I think there was somewhere deep down a reason to root for uh, Vicky. And I think that's what's interesting about Heenan is he never relented in being the bad guy. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that, you know, when you look at some of his later career stuff, like when you look at the NWO, there were times when like Heenan was great at calling that stuff. And there there were times when he seemed like a little lost. Like Larry Zbysko was so good at being the career heel who suddenly stood for WCW. Like Zbysko was great at that. But I don't know that Heenan was necessarily comfortable carrying that off. Like when they asked him to to be Bobby Heenan, but also be kind of a company man. I think that put him in like a weird position. And I've been watching some of that stuff back recently. And, and there's a t- there's times where he just kind of became incongruous. And I think it's because exactly what you're saying was that he was a true heel and that it was all about like setting the heel wrestlers up to fall. Right. You know what I mean? He would like cheer for them in the matches in a way that was supposed to make you uh, root for their comeuppance even more. But when he was against the heels, but also kind of a cool heel himself, it, it, you know what I mean? They, they really kind of, uh, they took his heat away from him, really. Yeah, it, he he was still great because he was Bobby Heenan, but it wasn't, like you said, there were matches where you're like, oh, man, like, I don't know what's going on here, but you just don't seem to want to be here. And I understand why. There's a bunch of reasons. why. I don't think he quit in a way where, not that I, there, that's a complicated idea. But I, I think he didn't quit. He just stopped doing his everything he could in every single moment to make everybody else look good. And I, I don't think that's the same as giving up. But to Heenan, it basically was giving It felt like giving up because he was so good at, at it beforehand. Yeah, that's what made him such a great heel manager. He was so good at making it clear that even when he was getting other people over, he was also trying to get himself over in a way that it would eventually make it so he got his ass kicked by someone uh, because he was the one that had a tendency to, by taking credit, you knew when he took credit for one of his guy's victories, it was actually the guy that got the victory. He was the perfect opposite day. Like, I don't know what else to call it, but other than like an opposite day uh, kind of character where like everything he said, you knew the opposite was most likely true. Definitely. I think that's that's a good way of putting it. And, and one of the things that kind of made him a great character as well, though, is that like we always knew that as the audience, right, that he was totally 180 off base. But it, there was always that story with each of the successive heels he would manage that like 
at first they buy into Bobby and like, they know that Bobby's going to take them to the title because look, he's, he's had so many other title challengers and they know that Bobby's the best manager in the world wrestling federation, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's that journey of them like getting to Hogan and then not winning the title and then realizing like, Hey, wait a minute. You told me I was going to win the title. What the fuck? Like, and then how did they not notice that? Because they noticed that none of the previous people had won the title anyway. But, uh, but it was really brilliant in that you could, you know, there was that internal story of the heels discovering that he was a fraud. Yeah. He wasn't, he's clearly a confidence man. Right. But he's also a guy who, genuinely believes his own bullshit like that was what was charming about that's what made it charming is he was as delusional as he thought everyone else was and he would just say things like the 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 most famous line for me like my favorite line is (laughs) the the barbershop window Chinetti tried to dive through the window to escape did you see that Uh, it makes me laugh every time. Like the idea that that was his reaction in that moment. Well, actually, do you believe he tried to run away like that? <laughs> is just such a funny, abs- it's, it's that like absurd humor we've talked about done well in wrestling where the heel is so committed to the idea of being full of shit. But even when he knows you know that he's full of shit. He's just going to go with it. Like, and it's that, that, that's where the confidence comes in is he's the confidence to actually fucking sell it in every sense of the word. Yeah. I always think of the, the early Raws uh, where he's, he's like dressed as a woman and he's trying to sneak into the building (laughs) and stuff where it's like, he's doing this like kind of pseudo like Monty Python, Marty Feldman bit, but he's like so committed to it. And like, number one, He's got the full confidence that he's acting like it's going to work. And like number two, he also has the full confidence like what he's doing is not a (laughs) ripoff. And number three, he's got the full confidence that what he's doing is not some like 30 to 50 year anachronism. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like like some some like it hot or something like that. Yeah, exactly. But but, but he just nails it. Like you said, it's not, it's really impressive because he doesn't just nail it on one level he nails it on every level and he does so like pretty consistently throughout his career like i said i think he hit a wall where he kind of saw what he felt as the wrestling business maybe kind of falling apart or changing fundamentally but but as long as wrestling was wrestling to him he was the best at wrestling in the world what i what i always like i don't like to um speculate or you know, I we, we try not fantasy to fantasy book. book on yeah, the show. there we go. Yeah, but I, I sincerely wonder how he if he could have kept if they could have taken him. I guess they can't because of his injury, his his neck and everything like that. But I would like to have seen him either stay with WWF as a manager or as a commentator, because I think there's value in him going to WCW for WCW, but I don't think there was any ever any value in it for him. Like, he was such a great manager. He was the perfect bridge between the manager who was there to make sure you could recycle guys out, cycle guys out of 
feuds with the top baby faces in a territory because it was the territory the territory days so guys were moving in and out and then to that idea of him as the guy who does the same thing but the guys stay in the company right like like earthquake like stayed in the company uh rude stayed in the company like all these guys that reach towards the top and then don't make it like we were just talking about stay in the company and go into other feuds. And he kind of has to manage that. And then he's kind of like the, the, the one man developmental territory for a given, a given performer where he's like there to, except with the kid with Andre, but he's there to be like the, the, the guy who makes, whoever they're trying to put him with uh, put uh, whether it be a tag team or a singles competitor to there. He's like the one that grooms them. He's the, like the developmental coach in the minor leagues almost, but on television also dealing with the guys at the top of the card. It's a weird dynamic that I, I don't know is really, it went away for a while in wrestling. All right. I'm going to go ahead and uh, make another game of Thrones reference. Since I started watching that show like six weeks ago, uh, there is a distinctive pin that characters on game of Thrones wear to show that they are the hand of the King, which is this super important position where they basically de facto run the country, uh, or the kingdom rather the seven kingdoms, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but uh, Bobby Heenan really was that brooch, that pin, that when he was standing next to a heel, that meant that they were the shit. Even if they, you know, weren't maybe as cool as some of the other characters, like maybe if they were only someone who was, you know, there for Hogan to beat, like, I'll name my favorite Bobby Heenan charge. This is totally unsarcastic. He's my favorite. But Hercules, uh, like, like for Hercules with Bobby Heenan standing next to him, Hercules could wrestle Hulk Hogan and, and really put him over and do a great job for him. Without Bobby Heenan, Hercules was a really good mid-card act. You know what I mean? A great, a great bodyguard for someone like, like what he did with Jim Cornette at various points or like, you know, a, a, a good character, a, a useful hand, but with Bobby Heenan, as his like badge of power, his crest or whatever, you know, that elevates him right up there to the very top to that, you know, knocking at the doors of Mount Olympus so he can get kicked back down the hill. Oh, I also wanted to address kind of the first thing you were saying about, about Bobby in WCW. You were just talking about like uh, Heenan generally and how like he was kind of like, he wasn't ever a manager there and it was like kind of a waste. You were basically saying, but the, like he was always just kind of, it seemed like the crown jewel for Eric Bischoff. Like that was all like Bischoff knew was that, you know, people had to work in the WWF to be stars. And he just like took one of the people who was clearly one of the biggest stars and just like brought them in, you know what I mean? And like used him, but not, or like didn't really use him, but it was just like the ultimate Eric Bischoff move of being like, oh yeah, I took the guy who was really good on Vince's show and I paid him a lot of money to come here. And because he was constantly moving in between different people, it allowed him to be a brand almost in the the closest thing, I guess, in a weird way to me that, uh, so I've compared him to R-Truth on one, in one direction. And I'm comparing him in the other direction to the four horsemen where like the Heenan family was like the WWF's answer might not be the right word, but like. They, they literally, they did literally give him Arn and Tully when Arn and Tully signed true. with the WWF. Yeah, so like he was the four horsemen idea of in the cartoon world of the WWF, Bobby Heenan was uh, like a JJ Dillon meets I want to say like Ric Flair type in terms of like he was such a good 
guy to get in terms of that comeuppance that you want flair to get bobby had almost that level of um standing or negative standing however you want to put it with the crowd that level of just like no we have to get this guy look look at the end of wrestlemania 2 Oh, definitely. I mean, I think that I'll come out and say it. I think that Ric Flair, like I said, a, an amazing wrestler, obviously a greater champion, uh, you know what I mean, than Bobby Heenan, uh, and, 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 and one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest, et cetera, et cetera. But I think Bobby was a better heel than Ric Flair because Ric Flair was too cool. You know what I mean? Like, but Bobby, you, you always wanted to see him get his ass handed to him. And even if he was clever, even if you, it, it's kind of like the rule of threes with Bobby Heenan. That it's like he would say something clever that was funny that you could kind of laugh along with. He would say something that was clever that was funny that you could laugh along with. And then he would say something really mean or something that was a lie that you couldn't co-sign on. And, and he kept himself a heel in, in a way that I think even Flair didn't. And, and, I, and while I don't think that the Heenan family are necessarily the same kind of like cohesive faction that, you know, at, at one time really had a murderer's row like the horsemen did. But I think in the Hogan era, they were the closest thing the WWF ever did to like a, a traditional, you know, uh, wrestling formula. Yeah. And I mean, he made events WrestleMania two and WrestleMania three with uh, Hogan, basically. I mean, especially, the King Kong Bundy match, like like I said, it builds essentially to Hogan getting Heenan in the cage at the big the big blue seal cage at the end of WrestleMania two. And WrestleMania three, the most famous shot is is uh Andre and and Heenan just like completely despondent as stuff is being like garbage is being thrown out of them as they're leaving on the cart from WrestleMania three with like Hogan in the background celebrating like that is the one of the, probably like that. And the, 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 obviously the, uh, the stare down or the two most famous shots from that, that show, which is probably the most famous one in the history of wrestling. So well in American wrestling, I should say. Um, so I, I think he like really was the, he was that level of, he was the top heel. Is that fair to say that he was the top heel in the WWE for pretty much the entirety of the Hogan era after Piper at WrestleMania one? Yeah. I was, I was just about to qualify that with Piper and Orndorff. Like Piper was really kind of the top heel, but like he saw what Hogan will, wasn't willing to do and he wasn't willing to do similar stuff uh, as a result to protect himself. Let's say. Uh, and, and due to that, Piper really kind of took the ball away from himself as the top heel. I mean, he could have done it for five plus more. I mean, he was still so good in the mid nineties, you know, when his body was, was broken apart. And even though a lot of the stuff that he said is pretty repulsive, <laughs> uh, he, he just had a great connection with the crowd and was good at wrestling. But anyway, uh, having qualified it with saying Piper took the ball out of his own hands. I think that after that, Bobby Heenan really was that unifying factor that really held the company together throughout the, the 80s into the 90s. I mean, you have Hogan and Savage, and that's a great personal issue. But outside of that, it's like most of Hulk Hogan's memorable opponents were filtered through Bobby. He really was the common factor. And, and, and he really was the, the main opponent for Hogan in the way that, say, like Selena De La Renta in MLW, when Shane Strickland was the champion, like she was the top heel, it, you know, she managed Pentagon against him and stuff, but really the feud, the ongoing feud was between the champion and the manager. And that really is the kind of old school 
territorial format. And like I said, it's hilarious that like, it's something that Vince McMahon like has basically patently refused to do at any other point in the wrestling business, except when he had Bobby Heenan, who was the best at doing it of all. Yeah. Time. Uh, don't, don't forget about Selena. Cause I, I want to get back to her. Cause I, uh, our own da- uh, David Gibb wrote a piece on her and interviewed her. So we'll be getting to her in a minute, but I think, and this is, this is also scuttlebutt on the, on the dirt sheets is that managers are making a comeback, in, including actually flat out saying the word manager on television, which is what they're doing with Leah Rush and Bobby Lashley, which I really like because Leah Rush is a really talented but very, very dangerously small person in terms of like being able to get... He's almost too small to get over as anything other than... Uh, uh, not a, in a, like a, a sideshow attraction, but like... He is very small. Let's just put it that way. He is small in a way that stretches uh, credibility. And I think with Bobby Lashley at his uh, him at Bobby Lashley's side, it adds a dynamic to Bobby Lashley, which is to say uh, words that are interesting when they're said out loud in sequences, uh, which Bobby Lashley, not so much. Um I have to say, I think Bobby Lashley is probably a really interesting guy just based on the career decisions that he's made and like the path that he's had in life. Like, I think that's a real thinker, but he definitely has the like, uh, the when the camera's on, he does not come across as as the person I'm, I'm sure that he is. I've written this a couple times. Like, Bobby Lashley seems like a guy that would be really fun to hang out with if you were into working out and shit like that. Like that dude seems like he's super cool. He's lived a really interesting life. Like you said, he's made a bunch of interesting decisions and he's not bad when he talks. He's just not great at it. And Leo Rush is great at it, but is too small to ever make a meaningful impact the way that even by the new standards of the WWE, where he's just going to have trouble getting past 205 Live. So he does this as a way to get on to Raw. So you have that dynamic, but I think what's a more interesting dynamic, especially for the way that it helps create people who may not be uh, what, what we like to call non-playable characters, um, so Bobby Heenan, especially as he got older, became less of someone who was there to take bumps in a traditional sense, but was totally there to still show ass and stuff like that. He was still going to be made to look like a fool, but you may not clothesline him to do it anymore, right? I think that's a fair way to describe like how he kind of, like as he got older, kind of didn't do as much physical stuff in the ring. Uh, no, no. For example, he preferred that you not stop in the middle of your match, get out of the ring, walk around behind him, and start shaking him violently. He was he was not a fan of that, especially if you hadn't told him about it ahead of time. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that kind of that idea of of him uh, would not have worked in the way that someone like Zelina Zelina Vega and Andrade Cien Almas work, where I think she is Zelina can work a match, right? But she's not there to. I think, she's a, I think, I think she's a former TNA women's tag team champion or knockouts tag team champion. I, th- I think Seth Feltz existed for a moment and she was one of the champions. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's a totally legit worker. We've seen her work might get roughed up in the way that for instance, um, Heenan did when the brain trust, I guess you would call it um, broke up. And so he is not physically involved in the match, but he's kind of there to like work as a proxy for the match, which was originally Savage and 
Warrior versus Flair and Ramon. Warrior leaves. And that opens up a spot. There's some, you know, back and forth between, oh, who will it be? Blah, 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 blah. Primetime Wrestling comes along. Bobby Heenan and Mr. Perfect are on Primetime Wrestling. Bobby Heenan ends up attacking, basically, Mr. Perfect. And Mr. Perfect tells him to fuck off and join Savage. And he roughs him up, but he doesn't, he, like, dumps water on him. He doesn't do, like, throw him into the cage wall like Hogan did. And I think that's what a Zelina Vega does for someone as talented as Almas, who desperately, desperately, desperately needs a manager right now. He's, I'm sure, very fine in his native language. I'm sure when they go on tours where there's a predominantly Spanish-speaking audience, he'll be wonderful. He cannot carry a promo right now, and she absolutely can. And that is imperative for him because he's a fantastic top-of-the-card worker. So she gives him something he can't do for himself, and she then doesn't have to worry as much about having to do a lot of the in-ring work that uh, uh, Heenan didn't do later on because he had such talented people that it's kind of like, you want to see Ric Flair get his ass kicked anyways. There's no reason to also have Heenan be involved in that in a meaningful way. Heenan can just be a guy next to the best guy. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think that, I almost think that pairing Heenan and Flair, while it, it, it was great because they're both great, and therefore, of course, the sum of them was quite great, uh, I almost think that it was kind of unnecessary, like it almost kind of spoke to Vince McMahon being worried that Ric Flair wasn't going to get over, you know what I mean? Like, I've always kind of got that vibe. While I love the whole idea of, you know, Bobby having the, the, uh, the big gold belt and stuff and showing it to everybody, like, I think all that stuff is fabulous. But I, I always thought that that pairing was almost a little unnecessary. Like, I almost wish that they'd gotten Flair away from Heenan, like, right away. Like, Heenan broke him in and stuff, but then, like, Flair was his his own guy. I, I, I always just thought that it was, like, it was just too much. It was the, like, gold leaf on top of the dessert at the fancy restaurant. It's like, why am I going to eat that piece of gold paper just because I'm at a fancy restaurant? Because you're in a fancy, fancy restaurant, and that's how you know it's fancy. And I think... I mean that no that's a good point. I I think that part of that may have been maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the part that was bothersome about the flare thing was the fact that he wasn't out there. It's perfect out there. And you're also I guess wondering in that instance why perfect isn't working and you realize it's cuz his back is broken in like 17 places like it's just destroyed at that point I believe and he can't do anything. So they're having him do the most simple stuff. And you, you, what I do love about that, though, but I think uh, what what does work, and, and this is where I guess I disagree with you, is that I think it works for the idea of them piling on top of Savage to make him go crazy. I, I think that is the one way in which it really does work in a way that that is outside what you're saying the problems were. I, I think that kind of, like that made that part of it work. Like they're really that part of that thing. And you may not like that storyline, but I, I, I personally do. I remember the, the WWF magazine tie-in that I thought was very cool, um, which was that they were trying to make Savage think that Elizabeth had cheated on him with Ric Flair. They do these obvious Photoshop things. But like, to me, I think it goes back to, I think someone like Heenan and, and to an extent perfect were perfect for that specific role of being like the the jackals in the background cackling 
along with Flair. Yeah, absolutely. I think I don't get me wrong. I think that they were tremendous together, and I love that all of them were like bleach blonde and like perfect. And Flair could could on those on a certain day of the week were just about the same color of kind of red orange. You know what I mean? Like they they looked like a, a clique of people who who were real douches, and and that's definitely great. I guess what I'm saying is that I while I love them, I just wish that there were times when. I, I guess I just wish that Flair had been a little more unchained and like putting Bobby with him just kind of feels like you're like lumping him into that Hulkamania formula that we were talking about previously. Where like, I think that he could have been a lot more than that. No, and I'm in fundamental agreement. I think that was the one part that transcended it was the, the goon squad vibe they gave off. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Uh, and I think that's one of the great things about, and I told you we would come back to her, uh, <laughs> Selena De Laurenta from MLW, who I uh, like, like I mentioned earlier, you did a profile on and you got a chance to talk to her. And I think what's great about her is that she, and you've seen it you, uh, in one of the early videos, I included a shot of her getting in Shane Strickland's face. She looks like she could work a match. And I guess a way that Zelina uh, does not necessarily in the land of the giants in the wwe but she like looks like she could she has the physicality that i I think zelina does too where it projects outward and she plays much bigger than she actually is oh yeah Uh, well number one zelina vega i i love her little heat spot she does where if someone's selling on their knees she'll come in the ring and give them like a hurricanrana like she'll give them a head scissor I think that that's like a really cool spot that that's the one physical thing she does is that when someone is like on their knees, just staggered at their weakest, that she'll sneak in the ring and like do a move that a tiny person does do a bigger move. I think that that's a really good heat spot. I like that a lot. But yeah, I mean, Selena De La Renta from MLW, she is a wrestler. She's not currently wrestling because she's, she's recovering from a knee surgery. Uh, but, but I agree. She definitely has that physicality, uh, where, where she can get right in the face of the wrestlers and it, it's actually threatening to them in a way that crosses the wrestler-manager divide and honestly crosses the gender divide. I think she's really a transcendent performer in that way that she is a heel who seems very threatening to the existence of whatever baby face she targets. And Bobby Heenan definitely had that too. Yeah, he like, not that he could, he, she's going to necessarily beat up anybody but she will be the one like fighting uh, maybe not but maybe not isn't the same as bobby heenan but she will be the one that like starts the fight and she will probably be the type of person that will be standing at the end of it whether or not she beat you up like she seems like she can take an ass kicking and keep going if she wants to like she does have that vibe of like someone who's willing to mix it up which i don't necessarily know if bobby had per se but bobby also i think on a fundamental level knew some of his shit was eventually going to come to fisticuffs like he had to have known when you're that much of a shit stirrer eventually someone's going to want to take a swing at you yeah definitely and, and i think part of what made bobby such a, a functional and really great part of the hulkamania formula is that you never really were too concerned that he was actually going to ever do any like lasting damage to Hulk Hogan. He was kind of a safe threat where like you could be reasonably certain that Hulk Hogan was always going to prevail. Even if Bobby Heenan like moved the ball a couple of times, you know what I mean? Whereas I think that 
Selena De Laurenta right now uh, doesn't have that. Like there is this sense because she has not been like definitively brought low yet that she she is a threat to to lead someone to victory in any scenario. Like like I said, Bobby had that sense of like oh, he manages the guys who lose, but like Selena like ma managed title contenders who lost, and then like what did she do? She got pissed off about it, and she got pissed off that things had become personal with her and Strickland, that, you know, he embarrassed her, et cetera, et cetera. And she went out, and she partnered with a better wrestler and be who, you know, beat Strickland in the middle of the ring cleanly. Like, she didn't get mad. She got really, really even in a way that, you know, he didn't get it right back in the way that Hulk Hogan always did with Bobby Heenan. So one of the reasons I'm just, like, so impressed with her and so excited for for where she's going in the future is that she really does have that dangerous edge that just I don't think any manager has really had since like Gary Hart where you're just like oh my god what is this person up to what are they capable of what crazy person are they going to bring in next like how are they going to escalate uh, both the personalness and the intensity and the violence of what's at stake while still remaining you know the cerebral heel yeah no that's that's a good point that I think there there might be a fundamental like that is in many ways the evolution of that character where like Leo and all of the people we mentioned Leo Rush and Zelina are very small so they don't have the the physical impact that somebody of a more average size would but they're still able to be there they have that old school ability to be active workers in the ring but like I don't I don't know how much Leo Rush you've seen he's an incredible incredible athlete he is like an olympic gymnast level athlete with some of the shit he does where like he's doing running backflips and, and off of things like it's american ninja warrior shit and he's doing it and it, sorry to like quote uh fucking michael cole on that i apologize to everybody <laughs> but it does legitimately Shades look like of american ninja warrior yeah yeah i think that's literally what he says oh, um, yeah, of course he says shades of uh, but no, it's really impressive stuff. And like, even the, 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 you mentioned the Huracarana spot, but also the little um, rest spot that her and uh, Cien do where they're, uh, he rests in the ropes and then she slides in under and mm -hmm. they do the like lounging spot. Um, those are like cool physical things that they do um, where like, I think Bobby mostly existed to get, his ass kicked like he was mostly there to sell he wasn't there to like even jim Cornette was there to throw worked punches a little bit you know what i'm saying like at least in a feud with like somebody who was like as much of a goofball as he was um and i feel like i feel like what's going to happen going forward is you're kind of as they develop the idea of managers more because they also have like drake drake maverick slash uh spud what's his first name rockstar uh, as uh, slash rockstar Spud, uh, who I, I don't know, I didn't watch TNA. I'm not gonna lie. Did he work at all? Like, was he? Uh, you know what? He came in towards right around the time that my viewership of that started to wane. He was he was involved in physicality uh, when he first came in. He was a wrestler because I remember the first match he was in. He did I think it was a shooting star press, and he like landed right on his face. <laughs> I think that was on a UK tour that TNA did, and they were they were taping some TV, and he uh, that's my memorable moment is him just smushing his face. But yeah, he, he, was, he was involved in taking bumps, definitely. Yeah, and they have him as part of the new... They have these smaller workers. They're basically like, are you a worker who's really small and can talk? 
well, we're going to put you on TV in this capacity, which I think is an interesting way to do it. It's an evolution. I, I would like to see um, them be more uh, body positive, I guess, <laughs> in terms of their selection, where it's not just small people, like just people who aren't working can be managed. Like somebody who just not that great in the ring can be a man. If they can talk, should be able to be a manager. It shouldn't just be small people. Um, Titus O'Neil. I mean, Titus Titus O'Neil is one of the people who, even before this kind of resurgence of managers that we're seeing now, Titus O'Neil was was carrying the standard for a minute. Yeah, I mean, Titus Worldwide was an actual thing. Now it's just him and uh, poor. Uh, oh God, what's what's his name? Oh God, Apollo Cruz. Sorry, I, I was trying to think. Uh, they had because I got rid of his last name for a little while, and he was just Apollo. I think. Right. Right. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure there was a TNA wrestler in the early year two thousand in the early two thousands who was just Apollo, and then there's also Ray Apollo. There've been a lot of Apollo wrestlers. I would like to see it evolve to the point where it's just people who like they don't not necessarily anybody they don't have something for, but like people whose careers. I would almost like to see um, Corey Graves do a reverse Bobby Heenan, in the sense that I would like to maybe see him become a manager because I think he has a ceiling in a way that Bobby didn't as a commentator. Yeah, I I don't watch enough Raw and SmackDown to really have a super informed opinion of Graves. Um, I don't think that, I don't know, he dunks on people on Twitter a lot. That's the way I, that's the way I know Corey Graves, uh, you know, so I, I can't even really judge his work that well, honestly. His, his rise kind of has corresponded with me not watching the main roster anymore. Um, but I, I, I can, when I hear him, I see someone who is self-consciously trying to be Bobby and Jesse, uh, which, which Bobby and Jesse were never self-consciously trying to be Bobby and Jesse. They just fucking were Bobby and Jesse. I'll say that much. So, but, but beyond that, I, I, and and that sounds like a jab, but I, I, I don't know enough to say anything more than that. Honestly. No. And I, I think with core, and that's exactly what I was I was about to talk about, so that works perfectly. He's not a resonant in any way. When you watch him, you're just like, yeah, he's totally he's a very serviceable, like above replacement pitcher. He's not he's gonna eat innings. He eats a lot of broadcasting innings. But there was a special thing that Bobby Heenan had, which was just this ability I actually, you know what? I made a list of things that he was really like truly transcendent. He was a legitimately hilarious person. He was incredibly quick. He was a brilliant psychologist, like one of the best people at explaining psychology I've ever heard in terms of the in ring. And he was willing to be the bad guy. And because of that, he was also able to get everybody over, period, everybody got over the ref everybody from the ref to the timekeeper got over yeah definitely and i mean that's for for all the warts of kind of like mid-century you know 50s 60s early 70s wrestling that i was kind of talking about at the top of the show i mean one of the real triumphs of that time in the wrestling business was the way that it, it, it truly was a team sport even though it's also very much an individual uh, you know, endeavor. And I think that Bobby really came from that era where your individual contributions were super duper important, especially if you were a star, but for everybody from the main event, like all the way down to, you know, uh, someone doing a job in the opener or whatever, you know, getting squashed in two minutes, 
Like everybody really had to do their thing. And the goal was that if everybody did their thing to the best of their ability individually, that buoyed everything up. So it, it wasn't just about going out and cutting a promo that like got you over. You had to cut a promo that got you and your opponent and your next opponent and your opponent's next opponent over. And then you had to go out there and you had to have a match that got you and your opponent and the ref and the whole professional re wrestling construct over. You know what I mean? Like people who came from that era, even though the work style and the, the physiques uh, do not do not hold up to our scrutiny all these years later. I think the people who came out of that vision of wrestling were some of the best at all time of understanding both how to be totally self-aggrandizing and also totally selfless. And that's really that wrestling sweet spot when everybody's pumping themselves up and doing their own thing to the best of their ability. That that it really is the rising tide that floats all ships or whatever the fuck the saying is. I, I hate that that one. Uh, uh, but but anyway, you get it. <laughs> I am um, and I think what's interesting for me at least with him is that he did it without ever being like I mean not ever that's totally wrong way to put it he did it without being egregiously grotesque like he would say inappropriate misogynist things because because the reason I say that is because I was thinking about this idea that like Graves is is good but he's not resonant in any way but he's also like not offensive. He's just Corey Graves, heel commentator to the stars. Where <laughs> like Jerry Lawler was really resonant, but fucking awful. Just like a bad person, more often than not a bad character. Like and I don't necessarily necessarily mean Jerry Lawler the person as a bad person, but like that character was just looking back uh, like a skis ball. Like, yeah, Heenan would say gross stuff, but it was, like, Archie Bunker-style gross stuff. It wasn't, like, Val Venus kind of gross stuff. You know what I'm saying? No, definitely. He he was the king of the real old-fashioned, like, late radio, early television one-liner. You know what I mean? Like, he could have been a writer for Sid Caesar on your show of shows with, with Mel Brooks and Woody Allen and all those you know, people who went on to be super famous comedy writers. He really had that that blend of just like quickness and confidence and incisiveness where like he just knew the right thing to say. And even if it was something kind of gross, it was it was the right thing to say. And and he said it in a way where if you didn't like it, you could usually brush it off. Like he never said the awful statement that like stuck in your craw and like like when uh, JBL used to do the whole like James Ellsworth a necklace turtle without a shell or chinless turtle without a shell, whatever, like when you would just like be like pulling your turtleneck up over your face because you're like, Jesus, I can't stand to hear this guy like go on and on and on with that. But Bobby could say something really screwed up and then just laugh it off and move on, which is a uh, which which sounds like a, a very problematic trait. But but I think that it was a, a valuable one for him. Definitely. Uh, he would very earnestly tell a uh, take my wife. He's Rodney Dangerfield in that way of just like, you knew that he had really like the impressiveness of the joke or the aside or the one liner was enough that even if it was like a kind of inappropriate thing to say, you understand that he knew that was the best joke to make at that point. 
and he wasn't going to apologize for it, but he also didn't mean it maliciously where like you listen to someone like Lawler and they sound like they mean it in a way that like, that's how they think about women or that's how they think about people of color. Like you never got that vibe from Bobby Heenan. Yeah. And anytime they would do crowd shots, if there was a good looking woman framed in the middle of the crowd shot, as there often is uh, in the work of Kevin Dunn, uh, he would do the thing where he would just go, whoa. Or if he was in mid sentence, he would just sell that like he lost his words because this woman was so impressive looking. And it was like scumbag shtick. But once again, like you said, it, it was it was scumbag shtick that was relatively harmless and was so in line with how his character would act. That, that he could really pull it off. Yeah, it's like Lawler went from like an abusive, angry sociopath to an abusive, angry sociopath with a really disgusting misogynist streak who basically jerked off every time after the show was over. Like that's <laughs> the vibe. You, like he was a really like, like a, I, I don't know if I'm using the right person, so please correct me if I, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, like a Robert Crumb style, like character. Mm. Like, like yes, just, yeah. Like, right. You know what I'm talking about? Where he's just like this, he's, he's gross. He, you know what he reminds me of actually? Ren and Stimpy, right? You know, the parts where they show like a close up. Oh, and in, it's suddenly real graphic. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of what Jerry Lawler is to me. Is that like really just like, oh God, you're everything, you're devoid of, you are a Bobby Heenan devoid of charm. And without charm, Bobby Heenan had nothing, but he had so much charm, he could do anything. Yeah, definitely. And, and once again, I think it comes back to one of the reasons Heenan can get away with some of the stuff is that even if you were the markiest mark and you didn't have the words for this, you could feel, as I was saying earlier, that everything Heenan did, both like as a manager, as a commentator, it was all in service to the show. It was all about getting everybody over, getting the storylines over, you know, et cetera, et cetera, uh, promoting the upcoming shows. But, you know, with Lawler, it's like when you hear the stories from even Ross about how it's like Jerry doesn't do any prep. He just like watches the monitor and reacts to it, which is great in the sense that he, you get some really memorable kind of honest reactions from him when things are shocking as they often were kind of in the attitude era when, you know, he was considered one of the best in the game, but he, he doesn't have that Heenan feel where you can just tell that like everything he's doing is for the show and to make everything as good as possible. He's there because his job is to look at the monitor and crack the jokes that come into his head because he's naturally a quick witted guy who can crack jokes. You, you know what Lawler kind of reminds me of? Um, and this is a Venture Brothers reference. It's when Dr. Z does the thing where he's talking to Doc and then he turns to the kids and does the full-on, like, supervillain thing. It's almost like that, where he's kind of just, like, waiting, like you're saying, waiting for an opportunity to, like, make a joke about puppies or make a joke about how ugly somebody is. Or he seems like he's waiting for opportunities to take a list of jokes and throw one of the jokes at that at that moment. Yeah, definitely. It, it's It's the... Yeah, it, it's the kind of, I, I, I want to be careful with how I use this term. It, it's that kind of like frat boy comedy, which I think is kind of dead now, I think. <laughs> but, but just that idea of like being a really clever, confident alpha 
And, you know, uh, and just it must be really interesting how you feel about everything. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. And, and I think <laughs> with Bobby, he was the he was the type of person that would make jokes at a funeral in real life to make everyone else feel less sad. But the character comes off as just the first part of that, right? Like, but like the really memorably, he said, like, I'm so happy when he got elected to the Hall of Fame, like, I'm so happy like this is like one of the great achievements of my life, but I really wish Monsoon was here. Like he loved the people he worked with in a way that really sincerely came across on television where like, I don't know if Jerry Lawler liked anybody. Uh, like I'm sure he liked JR, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, Oh yeah, definitely. But I don't, you know, I don't think Jerry Lawler himself, like the human being is evil. I just think he's kind of gross and that grossness came across in a way that like, I'm sure Bobby Heenan was probably kind of gross, but like it never ruined my viewing experience. The idea that he was kind of a creepy, horny, older, middle-aged guy. Right. No, his creepy, horny stuff has aged much better in 30 years than Lawler's has in 15 years. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. 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 And I, I think that's also because of, like you said, he had so many reps of being this all around person, but also just like, and, and and this is, he's legitimately like the funniest person ever involved in wrestling, as far as I'm concerned. Like he is really sincerely funny, not like a person who can tell a joke, a person who could write jokes for a living. And I, I don't think I'm a, I, I'm pretty sure you agree with that, right? Oh yeah, definitely. I said earlier, he could have written, you know, for Sid Caesar. Yeah, oh, yeah. that, that early television vibe, definitely. Yeah, and it's, and it's because of that, that he was able to so seamlessly be a profession, a broadcast professional. A um, broadcast journalist, yeah. Monsoon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, where that was like part of his, his character was in part, and they would do this occasionally, and it was my favorite stuff is they would occasionally have him like do actual analysis and they'd be like, yeah, I don't understand why you're making me do this shit. (laughs) I'm trying to think of a specific time, but there's like specific matches I remember seeing where like he actually explains what's going Because Monsoon will be like, well, why don't you just do your job? And then he'll very quickly do his job. And then you'll be like, oh God, he actually does know what he's doing, but he doesn't want to do it because he's Bobby Heenan. He's an asshole. Oh yeah, I love him. He's the best at calling the replay package after the matches. He did that a lot in WCW where Shivani would throw to him, you know, and he would say, okay, Brain, you know, you call the highlights here. And let's say that like, uh, let's say the finish is the jackhammer. Like Bobby Heenan, they would have, you know, some 12 second uh, slow motion shot of Goldberg giving someone the jackhammer. And Bobby Heenan would be like, well, what you see happening here is first he hooks the guy's head so he's got control of the man. Then he slings his arm over his body so he can't block him. He lifts him up in the air and he holds him there and he's waiting for that blood to drip down into his head so that he's disoriented. And then wham, he brings him down with the power slam for the one, two, three. Like, holy shit. You know what I mean? Like he he gives the highlight, he calls the highlight reel better than the play-by-play guy called the match. And I don't mean that as a slight on Shivani. Who's very good. who's, Who's actually excellent. Like really, he's one of those people who, you know, I think the kind of whole, the way WCW went down and the way his passion waned as that was happening, it really hurt his legacy. And I'm I'm actually really glad for like Conrad Thompson for, for kind of, you know, dragging him back into the wrestling business and like helping him rehab that image because 
I think he deserved to be remembered better. And I think the fans deserve to remember him better. But yeah, and I think that that idea of him being able to call the replays so brilliantly was what made that character work is that he could ever, if he ever needed to get an A on a test, he could actually get, he was actually a very smart person, which is why I think, and I think we can end on this, um, why it was always interesting to see people who didn't understand that the gimmick of Bobby Heenan was not that he was stupid. It's that he was like really vain and didn't think things all the way through more so than he was stupid. Like uh, WrestleMania nine, which I think is like one of the last times ever with the company, him and Savage don't work well together because Savage keeps on calling him stupid. And the one thing that brain had was a brain. He didn't have courage. He didn't have heart. He just had a brain. And that was what he was good for is he was a brilliant person who just didn't give a shit and wanted the easiest way out. Absolutely. And uh, in his defense, I, 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 there are many other people who've confirmed that Randy Savage was difficult to do commentary with. <laughs> uh, all of the fans that ever watched him do commentary, I, I believe would be number one on that list. Cause uh, uh, we will have another episode on Jesse Ventura. We didn't mention him that much this episode. Um, he's the only other person I think that's close to Bobby. Um, but uh, here's uh, the question I've been thinking about now that we've, we've solved. Uh, I don't know what we solved this week, but we solved something. Um, the question I've been thinking about all episode is this. Outside of people he worked with, who would you most like to see Heenan have worked with on the commentary booth and in the commentary booth and as a manager? And this, is this time machine? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're just bringing him to any point. Because I think what we uh, we didn't spend too much time on. He's timeless in a, in a very real way. Like, when he came back in 2001 for the WrestleMania 17 gimmick battle Royal, he's amazing. He could have started doing that the next day. And if he could have like actually been given time to like know everybody's name and shit like that. Oh yeah, definitely. I thought, I thought him and Gene were actually great too. And I know that it's a story that Gene, that me and Gene likes to tell is that like Gordon Soley is who taught him how to do play by play. It's kind of like a really well-kept secret that like Gene actually could have done play by play if he wanted to, but he just happened to be like, the best stand-up, you know, Mike guy ever. Yeah, no, that's that's a really fun match uh, to go see him. But so, yeah, who would you? Uh, who would be your? The, let's do time machine, and let's do. Uh, you can even. I will even let you pick a vintage version of somebody, not just their entire career, like a very specific, like Jim Ross in 1992. Let's say. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, well, one thing I think that he would have been great for that he didn't really get the opportunity to do is I think that he would have been just a great antagonist for Bret Hart. And I think it would have helped Bret a lot in the way that, you know, Hogan never put Bret over, but that there were some things they could have done that could have helped Bret kind of get up to where Hogan had been. And I think a run against Heenan would have been great for him. So I'm trying to think of who I would have liked to have seen Heenan manage. I mean, he did... You know, we had like Doink the Clown, who was associated with Waller, who we were talking about earlier. But like, I know that's a really bizarre pick. Uh, uh, but I would like, I would have loved to have seen Bobby managing Doink against Brett, uh, the 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 Matt Bourne version of Doink. Yeah, you know, the, the, the original mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not to disparage Skinner, uh, but but yes, yes, the good version of Doink the Clown managed by Heenan 
for like an extended like two, three month run like they used to do with Hogan, like against Hart. I think that I know that's a very bizarre pick. Uh, but but that's one that I, I really would have loved. Yeah, that that version of Doink would have worked really well on a couple of different levels, and I would have been interested to see the dichotomy between the like legitimately darkly humorous shit that Doink did, and the like the vaudevillian 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 <laughs> kind of humor. A lot of vowels. <laughs> yeah, uh, that that Heenan was known for. Um, yeah, so like. Um, yeah, so I would have been interested to see that dichotomy because, like, Doink was doing dark clown shit, but it's he would have, it would have been interesting to see him with a directly like comedic character, like a a goofy not goofy that's the wrong word totally wrong word a, a a dangerously zany character like that like like a like a cartoon come to life and doesn't realize how dangerous it is to do cartoon shit to humans because the physics aren't the same. You know what I'm saying? Like he's beating crush over the head with a uh, uh, cast and like fucking him up. Is that something that Bobby Heenan would like go for? Or is that something that Bobby Heenan would like feel uncomfortable with? Does it, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that would be an interesting dynamic for. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things that Bobby was always the best at talking about, and you heard him describe Randy Savage this way a lot. Uh, like when, especially when Randy Savage was a baby face and stuff, but but Bobby was really good at talking about how crazy people were. Like, this man's crazy. You don't know what he's going to do out there. I mean, he might just pick you up and drop you on your head that, like he doesn't care you have to work for the rest of the month. Like, Bobby Heenan would say stuff like that. Not that it was, like, kayfabe breaking, but that he was very good at being real about making someone seem like a dangerous nut. Like, even in this cartoon, zany, larger-than-life world they lived in, he was very good at, you know, jokey, 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 jokey. But seriously, folks, this guy's crazy and yeah, it's, it's one of his strongest. Uh, because he was so committed, you knew when he was being "quote unquote" serious, he was being serious. And I think if he was like, "I don't have control over Doink," I just the man's a winner. That would have been a lot scarier because, like, one of the things that that Heenan always wanted was like this ve- this like veil of control. I-, I think Doink is like an amazing choice. Actually, I would have liked to have seen him with hmm. I it's it's hard for me because I don't know well how well he works in the attitude era but I think I would have liked to have seen him with like Steve Blackman or Ken Shamrock, and I think you could do the same dynamic as you have with Doink, where it's like, this guy is nuts, and I'm going to make jokes about him hurting people, but seriously, he's really going to hurt people. Like, he's... I, was like, I think that's an amazing pick, because again, he was so good at, like, explaining why someone was nuts. I would have loved to hear Bobby Heenan talking about mid-90s UFC and, like, explaining to the fans what Ken Shamrock was really all about. Like, I, you, you guys you guys don't understand. This 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 man. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, he's not just some guy saying he's the world's most dangerous man. You know, they call him that in Sports Illustrated or whatever, USA Today, whatever it was. You're like, I, like yeah, I think that as much as JR is, is, was always great at, you know, calling those kind of sportsy stories, I think that 
you know, Heenan would have been a great other voice to really, to really, yeah, kind of sell the brutality of what Shamrock was really all and about. And I think it would actually work with his like early nineties, like sweatsuit aesthetic. You know what I'm saying? When he was like working with uh flair and, and perfect where that, like, I'm kind of like a, not a personal, but like a, like a manager that kind of looked like a person that would, uh, you would also like be making deals in LA or at the gym or something like that. Like I can't explain it, but he had that vibe where like him as a guy who's now quote unquote coaching someone like Shamrock professionally and if not in the ring would be like a really interesting way to go with that character where he's like, he has to very carefully take credit for everything Ken Shamrock is doing without taking even one iota too much credit. Like I, I think that dynamic would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm just now I'm imagining the Lex Luger narcissist bit with, or narcissist or the narcissist. Uh, sorry, I kind of got caught in the middle there. Uh, but the whole body bit with the mirrors, the the, the famously homoerotic promo, uh, the, I, I'm like imagining him doing that for Ken Shamrock now, just talking about both Shamrock's body because like he was just fucking carved out of ice at the time, but also what which you couldn't do about Lex Luger, like talking about his ability with it as well. Like I'm just imagining that promo being about Shamrock, and and, and now you just totally reprogrammed my brain. Lex Luger never happened. That was Shamrock's <laughs> run. That's good. I'm glad he turned babyface and he beat Yokozuna by countout. <laughs> And then got him in the ankle lock and wouldn't let go. So they reversed the decision. Exactly. Oh my God. No, that would be it. They would do the rock finish. So instead of doing the count out that they did for Lex, oh my God, that's so good, Nick. You just, you just called it. You just changed history right there. Let it be so. Make it so. Uh, no, definitely. Definitely. Shamrock gets, gets Yoko and then puts the ankle lock on afterwards and they, they give him the title back. Holy shit. There would have been a riot. There would have been a riot if you did that finish. Yeah. I also will say he would have been excellent for Yoko. James at Cornette did a great job. I don't think you necessarily get that much added value, but like if they needed Heenan to Heenan could have absolutely done that same. Like I, I don't think, like I said, I don't think the replacement would have been that much, but you're talking about like a 91 instead of a 90, like, you know what I'm saying? Like maybe an A instead of an A minus, but not much more than that. But I, I would have liked to, he would have been fun to do that. Uh, so have you had a chance to think of who you would like to hear him commentate with? Yeah, I do, and I think it's uh, it's it's gonna stir some controversy here because this is a name that that people have polarizing feelings about. I would love to hear Bobby Heenan call something with Matt Stryker, uh, just because Matt Stryker is so quick witted and so self consciously always trying to like impress everybody that I think Bobby Heenan would be the perfect person to either validate him or make fun of him accordingly in the moment. You know what I mean? Like I think that that would be a really like like you would have the whole visual of the match that was going on. And then the audio experience would just be this like high level Forrest Gump ping pong game uh, between Stryker and, uh, and, and Heenan going back and forth with their cleverness. Yeah. If, if Matt Stryker could keep a, his dick in his pants about it, I actually think it would be amazing because Stryker like is a really good, nice, I, I've, I've met him. I did the story for the ringer and I met him a sincerely sweet guy who like loves the business. It's not, it doesn't come play as far as I can tell from a place of narcissism, the way that I think a lot of people do. I think it's, it's an idea where he just like loves the business and he will nerd out on people in a way that you're just like, dude, this is so embarrassing. 
But if he could do that and, and work with Heenan and not do that, like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I get to mention Ed the Strangler Lewis here. Like, <laughs> I think it would actually be, and and it, JR and him worked for that specific reason that JR nipped that in the bud real early. It was like, I can mention any fucking person you've never, like people you've never fucking heard of, bro. Yeah, exactly. I'm not super impressed that you just called that sleeper hold a weaver lock. Yeah, exactly. But like, I think he actually would work well. Here's mine. And talk about controversial. Michael Cole. I personally think Michael Cole does an exceptional job. I think he has the hardest, one of the hardest jobs in the entire company. I think he holds everything together beautifully. I would really like to see him and Renee actually together with uh in with obviously with Bobby Heenan as an upgrade over Corey Graves I think would be a really cool dynamic I think Corey works with Renee because they have a really good rapport as friends like it's getting better because he has somebody to bounce off of but I feel like Renee could really be brought to that next level if she was given the opportunity to work with someone like a Bobby Heenan on the other side of the commentary desk where she's allowed to be an actual something closer to an actual broadcast journalist than he was. Right. You know what I'm saying? Where like, she's actually like a reporter who worked at real television stations before and like loves the business just as much. You know what I'm saying? Like the idea that they are both lifers, but in completely different ways that like Bobby Heenan probably could have written for television shows and stuff like that. And definitely could have been an actor on television shows. I think that's pretty unequivocal. He was actively good at that shit. Um, she was really a huge star on on sports television. Uh, I think it was the, the score, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, as Renee Paquette, uh, in Canada, she was like a huge star. She came down Sportsnet. That's what it was. Uh, she came down and she works for the WWE. She loves wrestling. She's working on wrestling stuff up in Canada and she's built herself into this like beloved lifer the way that like Bobby Heenan is. But I think the dynamic would be interesting because like her and Corey are friends where I think Bobby would be more of like, like a vintage Bobby, like a Royal Rumble 92 Bobby would be great because his lying as under the veneer of like journalism would piss her off in a way that I think would be a really interesting dynamic. Yeah. You know what? I think that Heenan would be outstanding in that team with Cole and Renee. And I'd actually like, especially be interested with the interplay between he and Renee. Cause as we talked about before, he had this kind of like sleazy on air character, but in like a relatively harmless, like you said, kind of an Archie Bunker esque way. And I'd be really interested to see the interplay between the two of them because she is not only a woman who is, you know, uh, in a, fuck, I like, I'm trying to dance around this and I just need to like say it directly because she is a woman. That's a factually accurate statement. I don't have to qualify. Sorry. (laughs) No, but I think that she, that is, that is part of her character in a way that isn't belittling to her, but it's like part of her. She is the first woman on the commentary desk. Like I think you should. So yes. she, she, you know, Renee is explicitly a, a baby face and, and a pioneer and a pioneer. Exactly. And I think that, like I was saying kind of before with Stryker, I think that even if Heenan had respect for that in real life, the character wouldn't, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think, and I think that, that would be a fun dichotomy. Exactly. And I think that he has the, he had the right kind of courage as a performer but he also really, at the end of the day, had a pretty good regulator in the sense that I would trust him above maybe anybody else in the history of the business, exactly. maybe Paul Heyman, you know what I mean, to 
to do a, a gimmick where he was sexist to her, but without, you know what I mean? In a way where they didn't distract from the show, it wasn't actually horrible sexist stuff that was unconscionable. It wasn't that like WWE kind of secret bullying where like, Oh no, it's just fun on TV. We don't really mean it. I don't mean it like that. I mean, just as someone who would not have respect for her professionally in the way that you just described, everybody should have, you know what I mean? And I think that would be a lot of fun. And Michael Cole being in the middle, like trying to not legitimize her to him, but you know, trying to defend her. And then there's the element of her being like, well, I don't need you to defend me either. Like I can go toe to toe with this guy. Like I think that would create a lot of tension in a way that would be productive. Yeah. And I, I don't think he would do it in a way that belittled, belittled women in a, in a way that was again, malicious. It would be like, he would constantly try to undermine her. Like he would anyone else but doesn't understand that it's extra problematic because he's doing it in a way that like, like Mike, almost a Michael Scott kind of way where it's like, you don't get what you're doing is offensive, but you're, what you're doing is explicitly offensive. Yeah. He would, he's got the thing where it's like, he would never believe that he was being a misogynist, but at the same time, it's like the stuff that he's saying to her, he would never say if she weren't a woman, you know what I like that? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think that'd be a good way to build her up as even more of a baby face because she's so respected. She is a, a I, I know we, I just, I, I may have said, there's never going to be another Bobby Heenan, but I feel like in terms of a non-playable character, although she's never really going to bump, I think she has the chance to have that kind of universal respect and longevity in the business, which is cool. Like, I think it's cool that she's, like, developed into what she's developed. She is, again, someone who could have done whatever she wanted, but loves wrestling and chose that. And as for Michael Cole, who's the original... Sorry, I did not mean to stray from that so hard. No, 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 no. I I, I picked them kind of together without realizing it. Cole is just... I would like to see that because I think Cole never gets a chance to play with people who are actually, like able to carry the workload he always seems to have to carry the workload and kind of try to interact with them where i think heenan could do a lot of the like heavy lifting character wise and and cole could tell less of a story and do a better job of calling the action if not necessarily the moves in the match yeah i think cole sometimes has that vibe especially like i thought it increasingly like you said he's so good at what he does he's got a very unique job i hate people say very unique he has a unique job you know, that, that nobody's really had before in professional wrestling or broadcasting in terms of the volume of stuff that he has to do. But one thing I've noticed in the last couple of years is that he's he's so tenured and a lot of the people who he works with, he also like produces when they do other shows. So sometimes there's this vibe, you know, when you're like working on a project with your dad, not your dad personally, but you know, when, when you're working on something with like your parents and your parents have this like, crazy expectation not crazy expectation but your parents want it to be perfect because it's not just a reflection of you it's a reflection of them too so every time Mm -hmm. you miss something or every time you misspeak or misstep or do something wrong your parent has to step in and correct it in a way that you know in a way that can be a little embarrassing or in the moment frustrating to you and like sometimes i catch that moment where he's like the dad of the commentators and he has to make sure that they do it right. Cause if they don't, Vince is going to kill them when they get to the back. You know what I mean? Like he's got that vibe. Yeah. Or in their yeah. ear, in their ear. Yeah. And, and I think it seems like yeah, he's trying I to think, bail people out sometimes when he's directing traffic. Yeah. And I think that that's what I mean is that Heenan would carry a lot of that fixing load 
one, he does it on air. And I think that would be really helpful for him where Corey Graves can't correct Renee Young in a meaningful way without coming across as he's a like admonishing her in a way that's condescending and B seems out of place with his character. Like Michael Cole has to like gently re- uh, like correct either whether it be Renee or, or Corey or whatever. Um, and I think having a heen in there to rib the two of them would be a better way to deal with it. But I, I think I like the commentary team now, but I think obviously the upgrade from Corey Graves to Bobby the brain heated would be enormous. Um, yeah, which I, I don't think I'm breaking new ground there. Uh, so do you have any plugs? I know you have plugs, but what plugs do you have? Oh, Nick, you know that I have plenty of plugs. Uh, so obviously the first thing would be the Selena De La Renta profile that we talked about earlier in the show. Uh, I had a blast doing that. It was honestly my favorite wrestling-related thing that I've done in probably several years, honestly. It was just a really great experience, um, both to talk to her about her story, because she's she's such a huge rising star in the business, really uh, one of the top performers of 2018, and that includes people who have like 20, 30 years in the business, you know what I mean? So it was awesome from that perspective to talk to her about her story and kind of fill in some of the gaps because she's so new and just seems so good so fast. Um, and I was I was really impressed with uh, the way she handled being interviewed in the era of uh, post-Kayfabe, let's say. On a related note, there will be some more Selena-related content from me uh, on the Wrestling Estate next week. Uh, as you're listening to this, it's probably already up. If not, just wait a couple of hours and hit refresh on the Wrestling Estate. Uh, I spoke to her about her ongoing storylines, uh, her feuds, her partnership with world champion Loki, her relationship with her rival Conan, um, what she thinks of the competition, what she thinks of PCO, what she thinks of LA Park. And it was a really fantastic conversation because I was talking to Selena uh, in a very seamless way. I was talking to the same person who had told me their story about how they broke in. And, and it was just really impressive. I'm looking forward to to sharing uh, the, her thoughts about uh, the landscape in MLW and, and her strategy moving forward. So look for that coming up at the Wrestling Estate. Lots of good Selena De La Renta uh, content. And if you're not watching MLW, uh, check it out on BN Sports on Friday nights or uh, on their YouTube channel. That's actually how I watch it. They put it up at 6.05 every Saturday, so less than 24 hours after it airs. It's really, really cool and just super available to you. So check out MLW and her and the stuff I wrote about her. And uh, if you live in the New York area, which I know you do, Nick, uh, they have a show coming up in Queens on the 4th called Fury Road. And uh, go there and see Selena uh, managing some folks. She'll be managing LA Park and uh, Low Key as well. And also uh, uh, announced earlier today as we record. El Hijo de L.A. Park. So two generations of L.A. Parks. L.A. Parks, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> I know, and that's not even counting La Parca, right? <laughs> uh, and you can check me out at The Nixer. That's T-H-E-N-1-C-K-S-T-E-R. You can check us out at howwrestlingexplains.podbean.com. Uh, or, and you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and, and I'm going to say Pocket Casts. That's just my go-to when I forget all of the people I'm supposed to say. Um, and we are going to be coming out with a new video. It will be out this Friday, 
Uh, so this comes out on the Monday, obviously. Uh, this is out on Monday. That Friday, we will be having the new episode on the YouTube channel, which you should be subscribing to. It's How Wrestling Explains the World. Uh, definitely check that out. We did the previous one on Slobs versus Snobs movies. This one's going to be on Parks and Rec and should involve both Dave and I. So that'll be exciting. Um, and yeah, uh, that's that's it from us. Um, the following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That is not it from us, Nick. We both neglected in our pig ignorance to tell them about patreon.com slash hwetw. Uh, if you're not already a patron of the show and you're listening right now, we'd really love for you to consider becoming a patron, uh, which you can do at that URL I just said, which I'll say it again because it bears repeating, patreon.com slash hwetw. For just one or two dollars a month, you'd really be doing tremendous work to help us keep the show hosted, to you know help pay for the software that Nick uses to create this show, as well as all those videos, and just generally to uh, make us happy and you know and show us that we are loved. So if you uh, support us at one dollar a month, I'll give you a shout out on the show, or Nick will give you a shout out on the show if you like him better. That's fine, I guess. Uh, if you give us two dollars per month, you get uh, the follow up files on Patreon each week which is uh, the added notes for the show. So I explain a lot of the references we make if we're kind of oblique or vague, if we're talking in shorthand, which Nick and I tend to do because we've known for each other so long. I'll kind of tease that out for you. I also uh, give you links to all sorts of like YouTube videos, other podcasts, Wikipedia entries, uh, articles from you know the, the press if we're talking about something historical, all sorts of extra content and context and uh, goodies. So check that out at patreon.com slash hwetw. We really appreciate you joining our sexy wizard army uh, and helping us out. The preceding announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. Yes, Indiana's favorite Bobby. I'm not so sure about that, but nonetheless, Bobby Heenan will be a part of the record-breaking crowd set at the Indianapolis Hoosier Dome for WrestleMania, some 72,000-plus. What is that next to you? Is that a, a Weasel and a coyote? No, it's a what? fox. Coyote. You that's were a right. fox. It's the fox. And that signifies... Fox Radio 103.3 in Indianapolis. And what does that have to do with you? February 21st, I'm going to have my own radio talk show. I'm going to be making predictions, answering oh, WrestleMania questions. Your own talk oh, show? Oh, boy. Yes. We're in trouble. Radio. Congratulations. And Bobby. then the fox turns into a weasel. It's going to be weasel radio from now on. No, it is. carried away. I'm Indiana's favorite Bobby. I thought Bobby Knight was... Bobby Knight is Ooh. definitely Indiana's. Who? Bobby uh, Knight. Bobby Knight, basketball oh, fame. Bobby Knight. Coach. Oh, is that Gladys Knight's brother? It Let's take you to action now involving the big boss man squaring off against the berserker. Gladys, nice week, but uh, Reverend, let me ask you, The Undertaker and Paul Bearer seem to perform certain services, if you would. Well, yes, they do, and, but you know, I would uh, handle my services for the dearly departed in a much different manner. Can I, can I ask something? You want to leave the room? No, what? I want to ask the Reverend. Well, feel free. Go right Have ahead. Have you Bob. performed uh, many services for oh. the dearly departed? Oh, many occasions. Many. How hard is it to get the gold out of the teeth? You <laughs> stop. What? Just ask a question. Let's take you to action questions. involving the British Bulldog. Get your gold Bobby out. Keenan, Indiana's favorite.